Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Hey, this morning is an interesting week. Uh, we are sandwiched between two series. Uh, last week, we completed our series highlighting and exploring spiritual disciplines. And I, I don't know about you, but I really uh, enjoyed that final one. I thought that final month was going to be of, of forgotten disciplines. It was going to be uh, extremely convicting. And it was somewhat convicting, but I thought it was very empowering and encouraging, especially my, personally and also having conversations with many of you. God uh, is moving, and he gives channels, opportunities through spiritual disciplines to be able to connect with him and to know him in a greater way and to experience him in deeper and, and creative and different ways. And so my prayer for, for us as a church is that we continue to engage in these ways, continue to engage in the channels that God has given us, even those that might be foreign to us or confusing or uh, even ones that we've never done or experienced before. I just, uh, I, I'm excited about how he continues to move in the way that he continues to lead. Next week, we're going to start a new series um, called All in the Family. And in case you're wondering, I am going to sing the theme song at some point uh, during the series uh, with a, a little twist on the lyrics. But in any event, I'm excited about this series. We're going to explore the relationships uh, specifically in, in, uh, in Scripture and how we can grow from those, how can we can learn from those in our relationship with each other and our relationship with God. And so I know sometimes that the title of a series like this can be off-putting, like, oh, well, you know, my family doesn't go to church, or I, you know, even if I'm a college student and my family's not around, it's not just about our own immediate families. This is going to be about the family of God and how our relationships in life can, uh, can dictate how we live our lives with God as well. And so I invite you to join us next week uh, as we start that as well. But in the middle, we have this uh, what I would consider a one-off, one, one sermon, one week where we talk about or we can engage in anything we want. And as I prayed about how God would lead this specific week, I, I realized and reflected upon the fact that the culture that we are attempting to try to build and that God has placed on the leadership, on the hearts of the leadership here at our church as we move forward is this vision of making disciples who make disciples. And the recognition is if we want this to be our culture, it needs to be, obviously it permeates throughout everything that we do, but also it needs to be directly talked about, directly preached upon and taught within the context of what we do and where we're at. And so today as we wade into this service, I want to say two things. Number one, we are going to conclude the service uh, with a communion moment. So if you're joining online, I want to encourage you to uh, put together the elements uh, for, for that at the end so you're not scrambling here in about 25 minutes and the other thing is, as we engage in this, whether you're online or here in the room, this is an opportunity for us to experience what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to follow him, what it means to be totally on fire for him. And the word is very clear. The word that we have, the, the, the gift that we have in the, in the Bible is very clear that God has given us this template, this understanding of discipleship. The call for us is to step forward and to live it out. I love uh, serving as a pastor. I love what God has called me to do. One of the things that I enjoy, it's kind of one of those icing on the cakes, is, uh, is, is weddings. I love to officiate 
weddings. There's something about the wedding and the process of everything leading up to it and the actual day itself. Everyone's smiling. Everyone's excited. Everyone there is, is, is ready for the day. There's this mix of kind of like, uh, you know, not necessarily anxiety, but a little bit of, uh, of stress with also this excitement and this, this, this starting line to uh, the rest of the life um, for this couple. And right now I'm actually doing uh, pre-marriage counseling for a wedding that I'm going to be officiating here uh, at the end of the month. And as I've done this, it's been on Zoom, I have I've found a couple of things to be interesting about this couple. Now, I did know them uh, previously. They live in, in Columbus right now, uh, but I didn't know them previously, and so I had an understanding of each of them individually, but I didn't know their story. And typically when I do pre-marriage counseling, I start with, okay, tell me your story. And what I found fairly early on in the conversation is, now, now the, the bride-to-be, I knew her very well, and um, as she started to talk, she was sharing some different things. Not a, a whole lot was a surprise. But on the other end, the groom-to-be, and this is kind of not typical, he liked to talk a lot. And one of the things that I found is as I asked them, tell me your story together, was the longer that it went, the more I realized this twist and turn navigating maze that we were in was going to have to be more clearly directed. What I mean by that is I was asking for them to share with me specifically, okay, when did you meet? How did you meet? What happened in that process? When did you get to a point where you knew that you wanted to be married? What happened with the engagement? Kind of give me the high points. And what I found was 14, 15 minutes into this description as we had gotten into the second time they'd ever seen each other. And I was hearing about what they ate. Actually, they weren't at the same table. They just saw each other across the way. But what they were eating at the cafeteria and how long it took and what they were wearing. And I thought to myself... Just tell me when you met, when you decided, why you want to get married. Some of those big fundamental things. And today, as we look specifically at our relationships, and particularly our relationship with Jesus, what I want to do is we define and we look directly at this understanding of what it means to be a disciple, to follow Jesus, is what is or when was that moment when you finally defined the relationship with Jesus? You know, you can talk about what you were wearing and when you did this and when you did that. Uh, when did you or did you ever define the relationship? Are you a follower of Jesus? Now, let me just say, don't dismiss this question so quickly. I'm not asking, do you go to church? I'm not asking, are your parents or your grandparents Christians? I'm not asking, do you own three or more Bibles? I'm not asking if you have the Bible app on your phone or if your streak is in double or even triple digits. I'm not asking if you went to VBS as a kid. I'm not asking if you just smiled pretty for the church directory photos. I'm not asking if your religious views on Facebook say Christian or follower of Jesus, if you want to be really technical about it. I'm not asking if you say bless his heart before you tear somebody down, right? Some of us are there. You've been there before, right? I'm not asking if you're fluent in Christianese, meaning that you understand what traveling mercies means, or if you understand what hedge of protections are. No, I'm asking if you are a follower of Jesus, or more rightly put for today, a disciple of Christ. 
Before we continue, let me just address something that I know is, is extremely important, that there are probably two kinds of people or two categories within this room right now. There's the people that have the fish on the back of their own car, right? And you might not physically have a fish on your car, but you are a follower of Jesus. And then there's people on the other end that say, hey, you know what, I'm here because somebody invited me. I don't know that much about Jesus. I don't know if I want to know that much about Jesus, but I'm here today or I'm tuning in online because I'm trying to learn or I'm trying to appease somebody or that cute girl is here and I wanted to follow her and I knew we'd get to sit by each other today. So if you're the person that say, hey, the fish is on my friend's car, or I'm not really a believer in Jesus, or I don't know what this is about, I'm not interested, I don't buy in, it's good for someone else, let me just say this. Just, just, let me just ask this question, what if? What if? I mean, no matter where you're coming from today, you all received an invitation, whether from another person or for whatever reason the Spirit led you to be here, whether you know it or not. And the reality is that when we read the Gospels, when you and I read the Gospel of Jesus— we realize that when Jesus himself taught, and let me just, I'll just admit this, Jesus, much better teacher than me, right? When Jesus himself taught, some people heard the message and they still walked away. They said, they thought, oh, that's too hard. I don't want to do that. I can't give that up. And they still walked away because here's the deal. Following will cost us something. Following Jesus is going to cost you and I something. But what they didn't recognize and what we don't recognize before we come to Jesus is we gain so much more than what we give up. Because what you give up is of this world. What you give up is temporal. But when you follow Jesus, you gain real life. You gain actual spiritual life. You walk from a place of death to a place of life. And when you say yes to God, you follow him. You say yes to the teachings of Jesus. And you enter in relationship with him. You gain more than you could ever give up. So the question remains for those that might be here today that say, I don't know if this is for me. What about you? Who are you following? What are you following? Because when we look at this, we recognize that Every single person, every person, and I believe that every person's created in the image of God. That's what the Bible says. Every person's created to have the same, uh, th th this image lived out through them. So every person worships. Every person is a disciple of something or someone. Who are you a disciple of? What are you a disciple of? The question remains, are you a follower? Are you a disciple of Jesus? If I'm going to ask this question of discipleship, I better define it myself. The dictionary says disciple is a follower or student or teacher, uh, a follower or student of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. And today as we explore this question, we examine the greatest sermon ever. Far beyond the dictionary definition, we're going to look directly at Jesus' teaching within the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And this Sermon on the Mount both has practical understanding and then also application, how we live differently as a result of, as we aim to be followers of Jesus or disciples. When we look at this specific scripture in, in Matthew chapter 7, we recognize that as we explore our spiritual gifts or we walk through different tests, it's going to determine different things to help us to understand who we are and what we're about. But in this specific passage, God brings forth an understanding for us to know what discipleship is. To know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, to gain the profile of what a disciple might look like. 
And so as we look specifically at chapter 7, we're going to start in a moment in verse 7. Let us remember that this is directly uh, given to us from Matthew as inspired by the Holy Spirit as he wrote down these quotes, exact words that Jesus said. And so when Jesus preaches these things, we recognize where he comes from. He is divine in nature, but he's also a human, recognizing that he also walks through the same issues, the same things that we have to deal with on a daily basis. He walks through those as well in, in, in real time, in real life. But as he does so, he does so with the recognition that his, his, his destination, his home is not here. It's far beyond the understanding of here, but at the same time, he also recognizes he's talking to people that are fallen, that are broken, that don't have it all together, that probably you and I can relate to just a little bit. Picking up in, or starting, I should say, in verse 7, it says like this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you... If, you, if your son asks for bread, gives him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Then in verse 12, it says this, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law of the prophets. Now, the first part of this specific part of the passage talks directly about this recognition that we can receive. We all can receive this salvation through Jesus, through what he has done for us. And he's foreshadowing that in his teaching here. The second part of it goes into this recognition of how we interact. And you might recognize there in verse 12, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. We, we know this. We've heard this as the golden rule, right? This is the, the, the thing that we attempt to try to, to live by. Even the world attempts to try to live by to some extent. Well, we should do good things to other people. The master is, is good. Do the same. And here we see right here the master of all we do, the master of all we understand, teaches to love, to give, to, to be a, a, a giver of all, self-sacrificing. And we should do the same. When I was in junior high, I had a wrestling coach, Coach Knickerbocker was his name. And I remember uh, he was a, a good coach. He loved us. He loved to have fun with us. And sometimes in practice, if we had a good practice, we played a, a, a game at the end where you, you basically had everybody was it, was, it was kind of a king of the mountain type thing. Everybody was in the room and if you could, uh, in the wrestling room in, the, in one circle, and if you could get everybody else out of the circle then you would win. And, and most of the time, some of the bigger guys had a, a more of an advantage. I recognize that. But most of the time, I could stay in for quite a while. Kind of dodge people, try to get away. And eventually what would happen is somebody would, would get a hold of you and they'd start to, 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 to grab you around the, the, the waist to try to get you out of the circle, whatever it might be. And I remember there was one guy on the team that would, would try to, to put you down on the ground. He, he wouldn't try to pin you, he'd just kind of push you down. And, and I remember one time he was kind of had his, his, his uh, forearm in the back of somebody's neck. He was kind of pushing down a little bit and kind of joking around. And the coach said, what are you doing there? And he, he, he did the same thing. And he was messing around, kind of actually like almost like a saw motion, thought it was really funny. And we're all kind of like, what? what's happening here? But okay, I'm getting this. And he, he eventually, as the, the practice went on or as the week went on, that became kind of the joke. When you get somebody down, you kind of saw on the back of their neck, kind of push them down. And, and it, as, as monkey see, monkey do would have it, there was a match that weekend. 
And as we came to the match, and as we got to the match, we, we, we began to, to go through, and, and we weren't a great team at that point, and so four or five matches had gone on, and we'd lost all of those. And so as time was going, eventually we get to one of our, our better wrestlers, and he gets uh, kind, of, he's kind of getting manhandled, but he gets the opportunity at one point to be uh, on top. And as he was, he, he's pushing down with uh, kind of anger in his face because he's used to winning and he wasn't doing great this week, pushing down, and he starts to emulate what he saw the coach do, this grinding motion on the back of the other guy's neck. And immediately we, we're all kind of cheering, yeah, we're, we're winning, which we don't, I guess we didn't even know what winning was. That's not winning in case you don't know anything about wrestling. And the referee blows the whistle and he says, that's a, a dangerous move. You're not allowed to do that. And we all kind of look at the coach like, but you showed us. This was fun. It was all fun. We were having a great time. And we recognized at that point, you know, that, that we were emulating. We were imitating. We were doing what our leader had taught us to do. And here we see that Jesus not only teaches this, but he lives it out. And the point is this, disciples attempt to imitate their master. You know, if you are a disciple, as we try to define what a disciple is, we look at the profile of a disciple, you are going to attempt to try to imitate the one you follow, the one that you engage with. And let me just say, if we look at the life of Jesus, the one that we follow, he lives selflessly. He gave all that he had, including his life. He spent time in the garden praying and in solitude. He spent time in everything that he did, attempting to try to point others towards the Father, attempting to try to, to, to bring forth an opportunity for people to experience real life. If Jesus is our master, we need to attempt to look like him, to live like him, to love like him, to serve like him. Verse 13, under the narrow and, and wide gates in your note guide, reads like this. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And as we look at this specifically, we recognize that the primary point is centered around salvation and what it means to walk the narrow gate and what it means to follow this way. And it seems bleak to some, at some point uh, to, to, to look at this, this is a, but this is a huge warning for all of us. And the warning here is specifically pointing towards the fact that we walk this gate. Guess what? At some point on this path, there's going to be a completion we know this. You and I have, have been to a funeral. We've, we've, we've seen the, the, the reality of what happens when someone passes physically in this world from life to death. We know that someday, you and I sit here in this space, I'm standing right now, I guess, but we are here in this space with the knowledge that one day our life is going to end here on earth. And when we see that, when we recognize the words that Jesus is expressing right here, we are walking a path right now. You and I are walking a path. And Christ's teaching is that we recognize the fact that there are two choices. There is the broad path. There is the one where it's easy, where it's fun, where we live it up here. And then there's also this narrow path, which we're called to, which Christ calls us to, that's not so easy, that's not so simple, that's riddled with opportunities for Satan to attempt to try to attack us. Because if you're walking the wide path, guess what? He's not going to attack because he's already got you. But if you're walking the narrow path, he wants to gain you back. And the reason, the reason dev, the devil hates us so much, Satan hates you so much, is because you're created in the image of God. And he hates God. 
And so he hates you too. And the, and the recognition of walking that narrow path is that there are going to be difficulties. It isn't always going to be simple. But the road is important because we know that at the conclusion of this life, we enter into eternity. And we enter into eternity, that's it. There's no choosing sides or making a difference at that point. We enter into eternity. We enter into a place where we're going to live, our spirit's going to live forever, whether it be in damnation, in darkness, away from God, which is the biggest punishment of, 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 of living in hell, is that you are living in a place where you're outside of the place where, you know, when you experience grace and hope and excitement and peace here, none of those things exist anymore. And the other option when you walk the narrow road is to live in eternity with God in a place of light, of excitement, of refreshment, of joy. The point is this, that the disciples or a disciple chooses the narrow path. In fact, this probably could be reordered to be the first thing in the line that we as followers of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, it, it, the requirement is that you choose the narrow path. And the thing about the narrow path that's more exciting than anything else is when we choose it, when you follow it, the person that you're following knows where they're going, and that is Jesus. The person that's in front of you gives forth the opportunity for you to be able to, to make the journey on your own so that you can actually get from point A to point B. Because if you went the other way, you're, you're following who knows what, who knows where, and who knows when. Verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will, you will recognize them. Do not pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, they will, you will recognize them. You know, this is a, a somewhat of a struggle for works righteousness, but at the same time a recognition that there are some that, that claim to be followers of Jesus, that claim to be those that are, that are in tune with what God is doing, but, but for whatever reason make their own path, make their own way, and, and, and deceive those that, in which they engage with. Works righteousness is one, a belief, the recognition that if I do enough, if I do enough good things, or if I follow God and, and show him that I, I'm worthy, that he's going to be so kind to let me into heaven. And instead, the, the opposite is true. When we follow Christ, the outpouring of what we do is that we followed him, that we express that love with other people because of the way that he's moved in our lives. It's actually faith in action, not faith because of action. Now, faith without works is dead. We know that, and that's what good fruit really is. Good fruit is the outpouring of what God has done in our life. And the point is this. Disciples are defined by the bearing of good fruit. The difference here is that word good. The difference here is that, that re reality that good is in existence, that good uh, is, is there, that good is only present because of what God has done in our life. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and ordered something and they bring you something else? Anybody? A few of you? How many of you are like, hey, this isn't what I ordered? Anybody want to? Usually I'm like, oh, this isn't what I ordered, but I'm, just, I'm not going to tell them I'm just going to eat it. 
All right, uh, I guess. Anybody ever gone to the store, bought something, brought it home, particularly produce, and you get it out, you're like, oh man, this is, this is bruised or damaged or there's a Actually, the other day, there was a worm in an apple. I found a worm in an apple. I didn't know that was a real thing. I thought it was just... There's something about the wrong order, the wrong food, the wrong fruit, the damaged fruit, the rotten fruit that just brings forth just this sense of ugh. Why? What's the point? What's it all about? And instead, when you have that good fruit or when you experience that good fruit in life or perhaps when you experience that good fruit spiritually you recognize how good of a god we serve you know i i just i can't get over the reality the fact that god the creator of all has given us life who has given us the opportunity to live life in in communion with him we sin and instead of saying you know what i've had it with you good luck he says nope you know what i'll just give everything for you to be able to experience me goodness once again. But he does that. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, he still gives us the opportunity to be able to experience him. I don't know, I, I don't know if, if, if we've seen that kind of grace anywhere else, that kind of real, the, the, the fact that he loves us so much. He doesn't just say, good luck, I hope you figure it out. Verse 21 through 27 reads like this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers, recognizing that it's not just about works. It's not just about what you do, but it's about this relationship. And continuing in verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And probably some prayed for two by fours within the context of the wall, right? But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them in practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and we know all about rain over the course of this last couple of months. And the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. There's some big realities that we find when we look specifically at what a true disciple includes. Donald uh, Wheatley, a uh, uh, professor and author, says this, If a person is wrong about being right with God, then ultimately it really doesn't matter what he or she is right about. God is all that matters. And for the disciple, our relationship is hinged on many things. And these last three specifically are key to that. The first one is this. All humans are disciples of something or someone. I, I mentioned this earlier, but let me just let me repeat that and take this in. And I want you to think directly about your own life, how you spend your time, your talent, your treasure, what truly motivates you, where you gain your strength, where you gain your, 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 what you are, where you gain your identity. The question is this, who is sitting, what is sitting on the throne of your heart? All humans are disciples of something or someone. Who are you a disciple of? 
The second thing is this, Christian discipleship is much deeper than knowing about God. Can I just tell you, in fifth grade, I got an A on a report. It was about Johnny Appleseed or John Chapman. And I dressed up as Johnny Appleseed. I shared the report. I knew every detail that I could know about his life. In fact, I still like Johnny Appleseed. I like everything about him. I like that he planted fruit, which kind of works with the message, right? I liked everything about Johnny Appleseed, but guess what? I don't know him at all. And you may know everything about your favorite athlete or, or maybe some celebrity. You may know everything about a family member, but if you don't really know them, there's no actual relationship. The disciples knew Jesus. You know why? Because they didn't just show up when he taught here and there or when he gave out a free meal and he was doing a little bit of healing on the side. Instead, no, they knew him because they lived with him. The disciples slept next to Jesus. They talked with him. They ate with him. They were there when he struggled. They were there when he worked. They were there when he was, he was frustrated in the morning on a, on a dreary day when he almost saw his favorite team lose the night before, right? Instead, they were there every single moment. They were, they were there in the celebrations and in the discouragements. Christian discipleship is much deeper than knowing about God. It's knowing God. And then finally, the third one, the action of becoming a disciple requires a wholehearted response, an all-in lifestyle. And that kind of goes back to the disciples. They lived with Jesus. They were with him all the time. An all-in lifestyle requires that we live this life. We don't just check in from time to time. We don't say, okay, well, now it's, it's my, my moment at church, or I'm going to clock in for the day, or whatever it might be. No, it is an all-in, all-encompassing lifestyle. All of my thoughts, my, my investment, everything that I am is for him. And that question remains from verse 24 to, through 27, this, this whole thing of where, where, do you, where did you build your house? Where are you building your house? Are you building it on, on, the, on the rock? Are you building it on the sand? Is it firm or is it shaky? Are you all in for Jesus or not? Because if you're not, there's, there's more that God wants from you and he wants to engage with you in deep relationships so that you might experience him through discipleship. The ultimate followers of Jesus were his actual disciples, the apostles, those that gathered around him, those that, that engaged in that first Lord's Supper, which we're going to engage in here in just a moment. Those that were there with him in those intimate settings, those that were part of what he was doing. And it's interesting to note that if they hadn't been true disciples, that there's a, a, a bleak chance that you and I would be here in this place in this time. In fact, the MO of a disciple is more than just following Jesus and being part of what Jesus is doing. Instead, it's also becoming a person that is an outflowing vessel, outflowing vessel for other people to know Jesus. That's why we have this vision of being disciples who make disciples because it's far more than just receiving what God has done and holding on to it and saying, okay, this is what God's done in my life. No, it's about pouring into others so they might experience Christ the same way as the Great Commission commands for us to do. So before we move into a time of communion, let's define the relationship. And I'm going to ask this question one more time, but I'm going to change one word out. The question is this, are you a disciple of Jesus? In a moment, we're going to transition to a time of, of communion. And as we do so, perhaps you haven't been here for a communion service before, but... 
one time a month, we have an opportunity to, to corporately engage in engaging with uh, this communion, which means community together. We all corporately engage in. At the same time, it's the Lord's Supper, so we do so in obedience to what God has done in our life. And one of the amazing things about this time is it's a time of reflection. It's a time of searching. It's a time of connection in a deeper way with God and with one another. And so as we engage in this, I'll just practically tell you what's going to happen in a moment is I'm going to pray. And we, uh, we will consecrate the elements. And, and we practice here at uh, Christ Community, we practice what's called an open table which means you don't have to be a member of our church. You don't have to have some sort of attendance record uh, to be able to engage in this. You just have to be a follower of Jesus. And interestingly, as we just talked about here today, or as I've talked about, you can become a disciple, a follower of Jesus through this ask, seek, and knock, which means that Jesus has already asked you to follow him. You just have to say yes. Now, there is more to it, and we kind of walk through that. It is deeper. It's walking the narrow road. It's, it's, it's stepping forward when God calls you to. It's going all in for him, which means not going all in for other things that might have been our plans before. But we step fully and wholeheartedly into what God has for us. And if that's you today, this is your opportunity to glorify him. This is your opportunity to come to him. I encourage you to do it. In fact, I encourage you before you leave today to come and talk to myself or one of the other leaders. We'd love to be able to pray with you and talk with you about accountability and what it looks like to step forward in this relationship. You don't have to be left out today. In fact, anybody who's a follower of Jesus can engage in communion. Additionally, just so you know practically or tangibly what's going to happen is the, the ushers will come in a moment. And when they do, they're going, to bring, they're going to get the plates. and They're going to bring them to your rows and they'll pass them down the row. We encourage you to take one uh, cup and one wafer and hold on to those. And in a moment, I'm going to read a few reflection questions that I want to encourage you to just think about as we reflect together. And at the conclusion of everyone being served, I'll come back up and we'll consume the elements together in that moment as we do so in community. I will also say, if you've got a gluten intolerance, we do have gluten-free wafers. If you just make that known to your usher, they'll make sure that you get a gluten-free wafer as well. Here's the questions. Question one, does your life reflect what you say you believe? Strip down everything, not, not necessarily what you put forth for people to see, not, not necessarily what you want your, your best uh, friends to see or even what you want uh, people from the outside to see. If you were to look directly at your thought life, at your motive, at where you're at, does your life reflect what you say you believe? Question two, do you think you're on the right path because of what you have done? And that could be taken two different ways, what you've done to say yes to God and allow him to fill you, or is it because of your action, the way that you are living your own life? And then finally, do I know Jesus and does Jesus know me? And that last one is basically about the relationship of salvation that we can have. Are you in a relationship with Jesus where he is your king, he is your savior, he is your Redeemer. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. 
Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.